You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement. The pastor God has put over your life or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Church, I want to invite you um, to position your heart, to, to make the posture of your heart right now receptive Uh, to the reading of God's Word. We are going to be continuing our series in the book of Exodus that we have titled, Made Known to Be Made Known. We're going to be starting in chapter 7 today of the book of Exodus. If if you're not familiar with your Bibles, I want to invite you to to grab them. We even have a a Bible feature on um, our online platform right now. Uh, But if you have an actual Bible in front of you, the book of Exodus is actually the second book of a five-part series. You have the book of Genesis and then the book of Exodus. And if you find uh, that spot in your Bible, just look for the the part where it says Exodus number seven. And we will begin there and we'll conclude this reading uh, from the end of chapter 11, the final two verses from chapter 11. And so my, my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to invite you to hear the words of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's hearts, And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to the Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. And so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff uh, before Pharaoh and his servants and became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret acts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. And then we read at the end of chapter 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, 
And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Jesus, this is the word of the Lord. Can we say thanks be to God? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you are control in control over all things. You're in control of everything that has gone on, that is going on, and that will be going on in the future. There is Nothing that escapes your notice. You see all and you know all. And you know where we are all. We, we, you know where we are right now. You know where our hearts are, where our minds are. And so, Father, I pray that wherever we're listening from today, you would do your work and soften our hearts so that we might hear your word, and respond to your kindness. Respond to your love and respond to your compassion in Christ Jesus. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Rob, and I'm one of the elders here at Renaissance Church. And uh, I'm here uh, within one of our house-to-house gatherings. I have friends and and brothers and sisters in this room right now who are social distancing uh, with their masks on right now. And so if I'm looking away from the camera, it means that I'm interacting uh, with uh, brothers and sisters in this room right now. And so We're continuing our series right now uh, through the book of Exodus, like I just mentioned. And this theme of justice has just started to make itself known in this passage. Now, this idea of justice and this word justice has been coming off the lips of many individuals of our society in this day and age. But what is justice? How are we to understand justice? How are we to respond to justice? Well, this story is about how God sends his messengers, you just heard them, Moses and Aaron, to reveal God's justice and his mercy to evil embodied in the person of Pharaoh. That's the main idea for today, that God reveals his justice and mercy to make himself known to those in need of his justice and mercy. I'll say that main idea one more time. God reveals his justice and mercy to make himself known to those who are in need of his justice and mercy. And what we're going to do is is we're going to zoom out on five chapters of the book of Exodus. You just heard the introduction and the closing passages to this five-chapter section. Yeah, that's right. I'm preaching on five chapters. So y'all get ready. We're going to be here for several hours. Uh, I'm just playing. What we want to do is zoom out from these five chapters to see this overarching screenplay take place. 
And in the first scene, we're going to see the Lord's hand and Pharaoh's heart. And in the second scene, we're going to see the Lord's plan and our heart. So that's the first point, the Lord's hand in Pharaoh's heart, and the second point, the Lord's plan in our heart. And my hope and prayer for us today is that as God reveals his justice and mercy to us through this story, he'll make himself known to us who are in need of his justice and mercy. You all ready to dive in? Let's go. First scene, the Lord's hand and Pharaoh's heart. Take a look at that first verse of chapter 7. When God tells Moses that he has made him like a God to Pharaoh, God is reminding Moses of what is already true of Moses, that he, like Adam and Eve, he's an image bearer of God. I mean, this is what Moses will later write about in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. That verse reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Y'all, that statement would have been an affront to Pharaoh's narcissistic and God-sized ego. Why? Well, listen to what a rabbi, Lord J. Sachs, says. In the ancient world, it was rulers, emperors, and Pharaohs who were held to be the image of God. And so what Genesis was saying was that we are all royalty. Image bearers in that ancient Near Eastern language is equivalent with representatives of royalty. Nancy Piercy, I've been reading this book by her, she, she's explaining that this language in Genesis and even in, in Exodus, that, that the early readers knew that that God is making an astonishing claim here. You ready for it? All humans, not just rulers, not just power figures, and not just certain people of certain nations are representatives of the king. They're representatives of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, Yahweh. And so when Moses is sent by God to be like God, God is putting into question Pharaoh's posturing and his front of acting like the God that he is not. Who is Lord, Pharaoh? Who's the real God? Is it Pharaoh or is it Yahweh? So you see Pharaoh responding, I don't recognize Yahweh as a God. If anything, he says in verse 9, Prove it to me by your signs and wonders. And God does. God shows signs and wonders. You see, the way that God deals with evil, genocidal, and narcissistic leaders is to send plagues. Now, the Pharaoh's magicians, sure, they're able to replicate a few. What happens when they replicate the the staff turning into a serpent? God's snake eats theirs for breakfast. The priests display power, but God is more powerful. And so let's just do a flyby of all of these plagues he brings on this self-centered, God-sized ego of a leader. 
first plague in chapter 7, we see God turning the Nile into blood. The second plague, he sends frogs. Third plague in chapter 8, we see gnats. And that's where these magicians, these sorcerers, declare who is the goat, the God of all times. They say in verse 19 of chapter, of chapter 8, Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And then we have the fourth plague, the flies. The fifth plague in chapter 9, the death of livestock. The sixth plague, boils. Seventh plague, hail. Eighth plague, locusts. Ninth in chapter 10 is darkness all over the entire land. And then in chapter 11, we see the threat and the warning of the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn sons. Now, each plague hit Egypt where it hurt. I mean, turning the Nile to blood would have been catastrophic for their society. I was talking with my friend Rusty, who's a a pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he said this would be like if our stock market crashed, oil supplies were cut off, water was contaminated, grocery stores all burned to the ground, and a pandemic hit our nation all in one day. These plagues were humiliating, devastating. I mean, when you think about it, the Egyptians, remember, they worshipped a fertility goddess, and she had the head of a a frog. And since frogs were sacred, they couldn't kill the frogs. And so God's like, you want to kill and take life from Hebrew babies? I'll take life from your false god, the Nile, and bring blood to it. You want frogs? Oh, you love frogs. That's cute. I'll send you frogs, and then I'll kill them and make them a stench to you. And you might begin to say this. This is completely unfair completely unjust because God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. And you're partially right. He will harden Pharaoh's heart. But but take a closer look with me. And if we follow this script, we see a clearer frame of this scene. Starting in chapter 4, we see, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Notice it does not say, I have. It's I will. It's a future reality. Then in chapter 7 and 14 and 20, his heart was hardened. And then Pharaoh's hardened his heart. And then his heart was hardened. Pharaoh hardened his heart in chapter 8. His heart was hardened in chapter 9. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart later in chapter 9. And then again, at the end of chapter 9, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart in chapter 10 and 11. And then in chapter 14, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. His heart was hardened. And then again, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. When does God harden Pharaoh? After Pharaoh hardened himself. And it was after God gave opportunities to Pharaoh for him to receive mercy. God gave Pharaoh what he deserved. This is known as retributive justice in the Bible. Getting what you deserve. Justice for killing Israel's newborn sons. 
justice for enslaving God's people. Paul picks up this theme. We just read it. What shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend. It doesn't depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason so that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. God gave Pharaoh what Pharaoh wanted. I don't know if you noticed in the story, Pharaoh even admits to sinning. He does this on a number of occasions. And just keep your Bibles open and look at chapter 8, verse 15, or 8, 31 to 32, and chapter 9, verse 27 and following, and even in chapter 10, verse 26, he admits to sinning, pleads with Moses to pray to God to relent and stop the plagues. Because God is merciful, he does. But Pharaoh rejects the mercy and in each scene continues to harden his own heart. What does this show us? Well, first, it it shows us that admitting your sin is is not the same thing as repenting from your sin. Admitting your sin is not the same thing as repenting from your sin. Admittance declares the wrong and then continues in the wrong. Repentance admits the wrong and then turns to a merciful God who promises to show you mercy. And Pharaoh turns back to a God, all right, a little g-God himself. He only admitted sin when it benefited him. So he can get from God what he wants, not to get God. The second thing that we see is when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, He's simply allowing Pharaoh to go his own way. Pharaoh resisted God. God reinforced Pharaoh's position. Timothy Keller, a theologian and apologist in New York City, writes this in his commentary. God hardens those he wants to harden. And all those whom he hardens want to be hardened. Let me slow that down one more time. God hardens those he wants to harden, and all those whom he hardens want to be hardened. This is the beginning of God defeating the embodiment of evil by turning evil on itself. God's justice and his power will eventually lure evil into its own destruction in the middle of the Red Sea. This is the mighty hand of God executing divine justice and mercy against the most evil characters on the pages of the Bible. 
See, God's aim is to make himself known as he reveals his justice and mercy because he knows there are people who need his justice and mercy. And this is the second point, the Lord's plan in our heart. The Lord's plan in all of this is to make himself known. Chapter 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am Lord. Chapter 9, verse 16. But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Chapter 10, verse 2. That you may know that I am the Lord. God's doing this to make himself known. And as God is revealing his justice, a few Egyptians, that this is mercy upon mercy, a few Egyptians in the land, they hear God's merciful word. See, most of the plagues did not touch Israel, like when the livestock died. But God made, yes, he made a merciful distinction. He did choose Israel, but why did he choose Israel? To make himself known to all the nations. And right now he's making himself known to the nation of Egypt. Because did you notice in the plague of hail, God gave mercy to some Egyptians. Read with me in chapter 9, verse 20 to 21. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of who? Say it with me. Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. They were saved from the hailstorm by faith. By faith in the true God, in the true words of God, not putting their hope in the false gods of Egypt. Each plague is revealing God's justice over the false gods of Egypt, while also and simultaneously offering mercy to everyone who hears and trusts in these warnings from the Lord. This shows us that God is willing to oppose any counterfeit God to reveal his justice and mercy to me, to reveal his justice and mercy to you and to all of us. So I wonder, what are the gods of this nation that God wants to oppose so that we might receive his mercy? What are the, the little g gods of your little dominions, your, your kingdoms and your queendoms that God wants to oppose so that you're able to experience his mercy and his grace so that he might save you from the oppression of those false gods? And most of these idols, these little g-gods in our life, they're typically good things that we turn into ultimate things, which then make them evil things. Like money. Money's not evil. Our love of money is the root of our all evil. I wonder if it's the idol of consumerism. The idol of the happiness of your kids, parents. They're little kingdoms and queendoms. Maybe it's the idol of sex. The counterfeit God of a relationship. Maybe it's nationalism, 
self-centeredness, ethnic superiority. Maybe it's entertainment. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is for you. But the reality of all these little G gods that we worship, why do we worship them? It's because we want them to please us, which means we are like Pharaoh. We want ease. We want comfort. We're good at admitting wrongs when it's benefiting us. But we never want to turn from them. See, the irony is, is when we look to all of these things, little g-gods, idols for comfort, pleasure, and happiness, and they turn into gods, then we can feel that God is cruel when he opposes them and doesn't provide them in our lives or he takes them away from our lives. We become like Pharaoh. We're good at admitting idolatry but not turning from it. There's only admittance to your idols, but no repentance. God might just give you what you want most. And here from Romans chapter 1, Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And this is what we all do, me included. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. I, I worship created things rather than the creator. We all do this at times. Who is forever praised. Amen. Romans 1, 24 to 25. This is not God forcing Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. This is not God forcing our hearts to be hardened. This is God turning us over to what we want most. What do I want most? What do you want most? Because just as God is challenging the counterfeit gods of Egypt and of Pharaoh, he's challenging our counterfeit gods in our self-centered living. He's, he's asking the question, who's God? Who's king? Who is Lord? Is it you, Rob? Or is it me? You're God. He wants to offer me and you mercy right now. What is mercy? It's not getting what you deserve. Justice, retributive justice, is getting what you deserve, but mercy is not getting what you deserve. And many of you right now are saying, well, if I can only just see a sign or a miracle, that would help me to believe. That would help me to turn away from all of these false gods in my life. I want you to think about how many signs and wonders Pharaoh saw. It still didn't change his heart. Another group of people asked Jesus the same question. It wasn't Pharaoh, it was Pharisees. Show us a sign, show us a wonder that we might believe. And Jesus responds, this evil generation is always looking for a sign. You know what he's getting at? Signs won't change what really needs changed. We need new hearts. We need new hearts. 
And there's others of you right now who are wondering, oh my goodness, am I hardening my own heart right now? Is my heart becoming hardened like concrete? I can't answer that question for you. I can't. But what I can tell you is this. The fact that you're still listening to this message, the fact that you are hearing these words, is evidence that God wants to show off his mercy to you. He's offering to you what he will give to his people in any Egyptians that do follow them out later on. He's offering you not retributive justice for what you deserve, redemptive justice. He's offering you a redemption that leads to this other biblical idea of justice, restoration. It's restorative justice to free you from the counterfeit gods and the false gods that have enslaved you. In his book, uh, Kennedy uh, writes this in his book, Truth That Transforms. He tells us this story and he asks us to imagine us in this story of a, of a group of friends that we know who want to go rob a bank. They're dear friends of ours. And he wants you, us to imagine that we find out about this. And so you go. You plead with them not to go rob the bank. You, you beg them not to do that. You list out all the things that could happen to them and you tell them, hey, if you need money, I'll set you up a GoFundMe page. I'll help you out. You, you need cash? I'll cover you. And then you meet them on the scene. You even go further and you beg them not to do it again. But they push you to the ground. And so you do what you can do and you tackle one of them and you wrestle them to the ground. And the other four, they go off and rob the bank, a guard is killed, and then they're captured, they're convicted, and sentenced. Justice is served. But the one man, he goes free because of your sacrifice. Now, whose fault was it that the other men were brought to justice? It's not yours, of course. It's theirs. No, no one can argue otherwise. They've been warned. But the other man goes around walking free. Now, can he say, oh, but it's because my heart was so good? So that, that I, because I decided I did the work, that I'm a free man? No, you, you see, the only reason that man is free is because of the sacrifice of another because he was restrained from evil. It's the same with our hearts and Pharaoh's heart when we reject the offer of God's merciful justice. We have no one to blame but ourselves. Warning after warning, plea after plea. But those who are set free, we have no one to praise other than Christ Jesus who sacrificed his life so that we can go free. And now he's standing here right now, 
Right now, he's standing here before some of you, pleading with you to stop just admitting your sins, but repent. Turn from them and don't turn to works. Works will not save you. But turn to another person's work, Christ Jesus' work, because his is the only work that can save you. He's saying, don't harden your heart. Don't become like those who have hardened their hearts. God wants to chip away at your heart right now. He's showing off himself, his merciful character, his compassionate character, his loving and forgiving character in and through Christ Jesus. Because the reality is we have all ran into that bank, even though we've been warned. But the beautiful news is Jesus is a better friend than we would ever be. He's the one who goes in and he says, I will take the retribution, the retributive justice for their wrongs. I will stand in the gap. I will pay their wages. Put it all on me. I'll take the blame. I'll bear the curse. I will do this and they can stand forgiven at my cross. Because that's where God's justice and mercy meets at the cross of Christ. It's because God is just and holy. He cannot just sweep injustices underneath the rug. If he did, we'd call him an evil judge. He wouldn't be good. But he is good. And he is just. He offers us redemptive justice. See, through Jesus, retribution was put on Jesus so that we can be redeemed, purchased with a cost, the cost of Jesus' life. And what that does, it takes those who've been enslaved and restores them to a right relationship with God. See, the reality is, is Israel, they really didn't need to be freed from the king, all in all. What they needed is what we all need. New hearts. And God promises that in Ezekiel 36 to 26. He says, I will give you a heart of flesh and I will remove that heart of stone. And he offers us this to us through the new exodus of Jesus Christ. See, on the cross, another plague fell. The plague of darkness fell at the noon time hour. At midday, darkness covered the earth when Christ hung from the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus endured the worst plague of all, separation from God on that cross. He endured the judgment and the justice of God on that cross in our place, what we deserve. And on that cross, God turned the evil of death in on itself because when Christ was buried in his death he murdered death when he rose victoriously from the grave and when Jesus says these these people look for signs and wonders but the only sign that I'm going to give this generation is the sign of Jonah do you know what that sign is the resurrection of Jesus Christ the only sign that you need to change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh is to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he died on the cross for our sins of idolatry and he left them in the grave when he rose victoriously over the grave. And he's saying death has no 
more hold on you. Sin has no more hold on you because you have been washed clean by my blood. It's when we believe in the redemption, the redemptive justice of Jesus, do we get to experience the restorative justice of God. He restores us not by our works or lack of works, but on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And when we believe in him, he gives us a brand new heart to be formed and fashioned into his image. Friends, because Jesus endured that justice on the cross, you know what we get to experience? Mercy. We do not get what we deserve. But we get to experience one more thing, grace. We get what we do not deserve, God's presence, God making himself known to us. See, when that justice and mercy is revealed to us, we're able to know God through Christ. And because we know this Christ, we now get to be recipients of justice and mercy at the cross who now get to tell others that we still need that mercy, and we believe they do too. We're not just image bearers. We are now ambassadors of Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us we are co-heirs with Christ. That's royalty language. And now we're called Christians, which means little Christs. We get to represent Christ to the rest of the world. So now, as God's chosen, adopted sons and daughters, go make him known. Just like Moses and Aaron revealed God's justice and mercy through plagues, we now get to reveal God's justice and mercy through the plague that Jesus took on the cross in our stead. Let's go doing this. Not just because they need it out there, but we know that we still need his mercy, his justice, and his grace. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven.